and welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 79. I'm Kay, here with my co-host Taz. Hey there. Today we'll be discussing the 12th episode of season 4, Terra Firma. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Terra Firma. After Sokozu reveals that she's made first contact with Earth, the crew goes down to the planet to revel in being celebrities. <laughs> John struggles with how much he's changed himself and how much the world he knew changed without him. Aaron fits in perfectly with his family, and when she reaches her own breaking point and demands he make a decision about their relationship, they're attacked by the alien left on Moya by Greza and end up having to leave Earth as quickly as they arrived. So after three and a half years, John makes it home to Earth, and it's the real Earth that he actually left, and not people messing with his brain or his memories or anything like that. It's the real deal. And this is one of my favorite episodes, and it caps off the trio that we began with Unrealized Reality in Kansas, and it's got two driving storylines. One is the tension between John and his father, Jack, who is the first time we've seen real Jack since the premiere. And by proxy, because Jack is uh, working for IASA as the new director of, what is it, extraterrestrial relations? Yeah, I think so. So it's the tension between John and his father and by proxy the U.S. government over how to share the technology and all the cool things that they've learned from the aliens and stuff like that. And there's also this tension between Aaron and John over the relationship, which comes to that confrontation that you mentioned that's left unresolved by the Screeth attack. That's the alien Grazo left. So there's a lot going on, at least on the personal level, even though on the plot level, it's just mostly the Screeth attack at the end is like the action part and everything else is more, <laughs> uh, more character stuff, which is why I really like it, I think. That's so funny because I had exactly the opposite reaction to this episode. <laughs> I think that initially I'd remembered... I knew that John didn't make first contact. I knew that somebody else had. And I'm still really bitter about that. And I think <laughs> it's because John has changed so much. So I really deeply wanted to see how he would have made first contact. How would mm -hmm. he have contacted Earth? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like if they'd taken this episode and stretched it over its own trilogy, mm -hmm. I think I would have liked it better. Just because I feel like, okay, for example... More stuff happens in this episode than happens in the Look at the Princess trilogy. And I love the Look at the Princess trilogy. And so I feel kind of like there's just all this stuff that we just get told. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I wouldn't say more stuff actually happens because I feel like Look at the Princess, The act we actually get to see it happen here. There's a lot of that, that dancing around each other character stuff that gets, you know, I won't say... A, it's like there's been a time jump, right? You know, Sukozu made contact 42 days after John and everybody came through the wormholes. There was some time dilation there. So there's already been, what, that's a month and a half of mm -hmm. Earth people being in contact with Pilot and Moya and Sukozu. So there's that. And then when we open the episode up, it's John sitting on a on a bench on the pier that we keep seeing in his memories and his conversations with Harvey. He's, you know, talking about how everything's changed, how he's changed. And you get these little glimpses of, you know, people arriving, what's happened. And, you know, I don't know. It's I'm of two minds about it. Like, 
I definitely think if they did first contact, that would have to be like an entire episode of just first contact because that's such a huge momentous thing. And so if they're only allowing one episode for that, I understand why they didn't do it that way. I guess I don't, though, because yeah. there's so much wasted space in the first half of this season. You have coup by clam. You have all the one-offs. You have the mm-hmm. one that was before coup by clam with the other coup. You yeah. Know, there's like just this ton of wasted space in the first half of this season. And then we get cheated on like the actual John goes home to his real earth. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that that's what got me is that I'm kind of like, okay, we spent two episodes being like only John knows how to nose his way through wormholes, like literally knows his way through wormholes. And then Pilot somehow gets it right on the first try. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I the whole wormhole science thing is definitely its own issue. I think just to do a little tangent on that bit for five seconds or 10 seconds that because John has the ability to navigate to other things, uh, he can go to the unrealized realities, whereas Pilot, as like a non-knowing-how-to-do-it-intuitively, can go from like signal to signal and get through. And so he's unlikely to go to alternate or unrealized realities. I think that's how they're hand-waving that. I agree that it's, you know, unsatisfying, but... But like what signal... That's my thing is John and the know. rest of them weren't there. So where was he? Well, he was I, he was following he was following John's signal to Kansas, but then ended up at the at so John's signal to the past Earth. But then because he doesn't he's unlikely to navigate to unrealized realities, he goes to the real Earth instead. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm gonna hand wave this because I don't. This is one time where you're on your own for that science because I, <laughs> I don't still know, don't it's understand made up science. I well, okay, but usually, to be honest, usually you're able to talk me into like whatever, <laughs> like where I'm like, sure, okay, sure, okay. But I'm like, number one, they never explained why Moya went through the wormhole in the first place because mm-hmm. Dargo just needed to take his ship through the wormhole. One, yeah. Two, yeah. I'm just really upset that they've like, there's all these. Not trashy. Okay. I feel like now I'm being mean because I gave most of those episodes like threes and, you know, I think some fours are in there somewhere, you know, except for the one I think, except for Kubai Clam, which I think Mm. I hated. Yeah. But I just kind of feel like I wish this had been a trilogy. I feel Mm -hmm. like Farscape is real strong on its trilogies. And I feel like in the first five minutes of this episode, we literally have two whole episodes in, in themselves. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I I do kind of wish they had expanded upon it. I'm with you on that. Just kind of for some background, the reason that there's more like Monster of the Week, Alien of the Week episodes this season is that the show is getting pressure from the studios at the time to make it more accessible to people who were just jumping in for one episode. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I think, an outside consideration that they were taking into account when they made the episodes i don't disagree from a story perspective like i I definitely (laughs) think this episode could have been expanded but it's still an episode i really like yeah i mean i hear you like don't get me wrong the character (laughs) stuff is like right up my alley yeah but i just okay here's the weird thing i loved kansas and this is essentially like but what if now he's at the real earth and i'm kind of like but kansas had a coherent story Mm -hmm. like a coherent through line They have to do A. It had like an A plot. And then that A plot was all wrapped up in John's feelings, you know? And then they had this B plot that was just kind of like all wrapped up in comedy. And this episode was just kind of like, 
Hey, let's wrap up three kind of niggling plot points that have been left hanging for the whole series. Let's do it a little bit fast. It's like, okay, I'm I'm redoing some of the wiring in my house. And when <laughs> I take these panel, like when I take the light switches out and I see what the like some old electricians have done, it scares me. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know how this house is still standing and not on fire. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like, that's how I feel about this episode is I just feel like somebody was like, well, we got to get these three things out of the way. Yeah. Well, there is there is conflict and tension, but I feel like it's, as you know, it is very character driven. And so my memory of this episode was really like, I liked all the Earth stuff, but I kind of hated the Screeth showing up and Grazes being like, oh, I have a secret monster that's going to go down and capture Crichton and learn all about wormholes. I thought that was the dumb part, honestly. I'm a little bit more mellow on that plot point this time around, just knowing that it was coming, I think, and having that as part of my expectations. But I really like the the discussions he has with his dad, and I really like the discussions Aaron has with everybody and, and and then around John, learning about John from his family, because she has a conversation with Jack. She has one with uh, with Caroline later on, who is his ex-girlfriend, who kind of comes back in as his kind of girlfriend now. So yeah. there's lots of good character stuff that I feel like I forgive this episode a lot because of it. Yeah, and I'm not going to argue with you about that, but I think that the strength of Farscape and its character stuff is that usually it does deep character stuff framed by Mm -hmm. things actually happening. Mm -hmm. And that makes those moments feel deeper. Like, okay, Erin, when she's broken her leg in the desert, and she's with Prince, what's his name? He's not a prince, but he's like... I think we kept calling him Casanova, and I think his name sounded like that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she's in the desert with Casanova, and she gets a truth bomb from him about her feelings and, like, her running away, and that's, like, why she's out there in the desert. And that felt really real to me because it was kind of framed by these things that Aaron was actually doing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, like, a lot of these conversations just appear to happen in isolation. For Like, from from an episode point of view, it's just kind of like... These are things that are happening, but because the episode itself takes place over like a month, two Mm -hmm. months, we're never quite clear on how much time it's been, but it clearly hasn't just been like a week. It just makes it feel kind of like, I I don't know, something about it felt really empty to me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I could see what you mean. Yeah, it's all driven by exposition and the conversations. And I definitely get what you're saying about the first half of the episode feeling empty. And it's like, where is it going? What's really pulling at Mm -hmm. it and driving it forward? And yeah, I I know what you mean. No, yeah. And like, the thing is, is I don't hate this episode. Like, preview of my score. (laughs) It's not going to be a one. Um, You know, like, I don't hate this episode, but it just kind of leaves me feeling like I want to go back and read mm. some real classic John Goes Home to Earth fanfic that's yeah. like 50,000 words, 100,000 words. You yeah. know, like those I, think I really- wrote one of those. <laughs> yeah. I reread one knowing we were coming up on this episode because I was like so upset. Which and one? So, um, oh gosh, I want to say, well, I definitely reread 24 Hour Pass. Oh, that classic. I, I know, I love 24 Hour Pass. And then I reread, I want to say it was like Ray of Smoke or yeah, no, what that- was the one? That's the one I wrote. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I I reread some classics just kind of yeah. knowing we were coming up on this in season four. And it's yeah. like, 
And I'm not saying, granted, I'm not saying that fanfic written 10 years ago, like, I'm not saying that that's the best literature. So please don't read 10 years, 18 years ago. And I was 18 (laughs) when I wrote it. So just like, put don't don't judge me, people, if you go and find it and read it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, I'm I'm definitely saying like, don't, I'm not saying that like, classic, classic, classic fanfic that I imprinted on as a teenager is like the best literature in the world. But I am saying that that gave me narratively, like a better feeling Mm-hmm. in my stomach yeah no I, I hear what you're saying I mean a lot of the impetuous to write those sorts of fics and to read them there are a lot of them back in the day you know was because you wanted that moment of meeting and seeing the change and getting that contrast and I do agree that that's something that is not played up as much in in this episode like we have a lot of people saying that John is different but we don't actually have like him doing something that's so drastically you know, clearly I am from the uncharted territories these last several years mm-hmm. kind of behavior. And because John is self-aware of that, too. I mean, he's he's deliberately hiding some of how he's changed and why he's changed and not explaining things because he doesn't want them to know, like, the depths of the darkness of the soul kind of deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that... I think that maybe that's it, is that it's like, this episode is just so much telling and not mm-hmm. showing. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Like we have these moments where, yeah, somebody will be like, John is really different. Or like Carolyn says later in the episode, we're going to play this quote later. So, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, (laughs) she says something along the lines of, I think he doesn't even like me. I think he's just testing himself. But then we never see them have any interaction like that's that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's true. That's, That's true. We don't get to make that judgment for ourselves about that. It's all all about talking about these things with other people around yeah so okay i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop <laughs> that's I'm okay gonna stop critiquing so, so so speaking of john saying he's changed it opens with a with as i said him kind of monologuing he's writing in a journal so that's your he's writing his words and we're hearing his thoughts and he's playing over some of the things so we have you know the greetings and like world leaders wanting to meet the aliens and they're showing their technology to them like the ships and the guns and everything because john says you know it's so far beyond them it doesn't hurt anything because they won't be able to recreate it or understand how it works or anything like that anyway Mm -hmm. i want to play the last part of this montage about the change and what immediately precedes this is it's christmas time his dad's freaking out about everything so he's like putting up christmas decorations and john's old girlfriend caroline shows up and kisses him and aaron sees them and so that's part of the montage before this little this little bit that happens just to set that up but things have changed hi caroline hey jack come on in and we don't get to close our eyes and pretend they haven't and everyone is telling me how different i am they're right but they don't have a clue why They can't know what I've seen, what I've done, what's been done to me. They can't know what's out there waiting for them, and I can't tell them because they wouldn't believe me. Hell, if I tried, they'd lock me up. For hell, I'd lock me up. Hey, Buck Rogers. Supposed to be fishing, writing memoirs. What's that? It's homework. This was supposed to be a weekend off. No homework, no stress, no aliens, no demands. 
So again, the whole telling thing, as you were saying, like he's saying, this is how it, how everybody is perceiving him. What I find really interesting, and this is a question I had for you, is you know he says, I can't tell them why I've changed or what's happened to me or any of that. They wouldn't believe me. And I'm wondering, do you think that's true? I think that John thinks it's true. Mm-hmm. I think that John really wants to come home, and he realizes that. A lot like a lot of vets, if he comes home and he is violent and somebody that has massacred a lot of people, somebody that has caused the death either directly or indirectly of a lot of people, that would be hard for his family to understand. Mm -hmm. Like, I think on some level, he doesn't super care about the earth, but I think that he does in the sense that he he realizes that if he comes home and he's like, oh, by the way, I've become a space pirate, yeah. the American government would not take him as seriously as they do John Crichton, astronaut hero. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think even his father, like, we're, we're kind of given the impression that his father is, yes, a, you know, I think his pilot, or I think his father was a military pilot at some point, but at mm-hmm. the same time, his father has been an astronaut a lot longer yeah, he's part of, the, part of that generation of military pilots turned Apollo program. Mm. And so I think that as a culture, we see astronauts not as military. They're as like peaceful explorers. They're mm-hmm. our Star Trek, even though yeah. <laughs> we've pretty much only gotten as far as our own planet <laughs> and the moon. It's still really hard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you think it's true? Yeah, I really like you pointing out that he's like a veteran coming home from a war. I think that's a really apt analogy because he's been traumatized out there. He's gone through things that he doesn't feel like he could explain to anybody who wasn't there with him and that there's this gap of knowledge and then it's magnified by the fact that it's alien worlds and it's alien people and he's learned to adapt and live in that world, but it it was a long, slow process for him here. At one point, he goes back up to the ship with um, his young cousin, Bobby, who's like 13, who I think gets retconned into his nephew. But for now, he's his cousin, Bobby, and his dad. And he sends 1812 to babysit them. And then he kind of says, as an aside to Dargo, like, do you think they'll be able to open the doors? Which if you remember from season one, that was a <laughs> big deal for John to learn how to open the doors on Moya, you know? <laughs> so the, it's like, I feel like he sees them as, the, uh, you know, the innocent side that he doesn't want to tarnish, like mm-hmm. maybe his past self. And I don't know if they wouldn't believe him, but I think there would definitely be some wide eyes and wondering if he was telling the truth or not. Yeah. I honestly think that if he came down and was like, okay, so in the past three years, we've stolen, we've <laughs> killed a ton of people. We have a bad reputation. <laughs> yeah, like I've, I'm wanted man number one of the uncharted territories and the Scarin territories and the Peacekeeper territories and probably the Nabari territories if they knew about me, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I, I don't think he would be taken as seriously and I don't think his concerns would be taken as seriously. Yeah. And and I, and I think the other thing that he is reading and he reading right, and we'll get to this with the next quote, is, you know, he's worried about the government and their reaction to him because he's anticipating the human reaction from season mm-hmm. one where it's like, 
you know, and he even says it in the in the or the part of his monologue is that you know the aliens are in a rented mansion with the best security and it's a cage, but at least it's a gilded one, and you know there's there's all this security and people wanting to know about their weapons and everything. So he's really worried about the military industrial complex kind of going Mm -hmm. in and trying to take the technology and he's offering the technology to them. Um, And that's one of the real points of contention because he wants to offer it to the world. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the next conversations with his dad is about offering or that he has um, in that montage is like saying, let's select the best scientists and from all the countries all over the world, let the Nobel committee pick them. We'll take them up into space. And the American government where they have landed is like, no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're not doing that. Yeah. And the other thing I want to address here briefly is Carolyn, Mm -hmm. because I'm kind of like, who is she, a hooker? Like, (laughs) I'm sorry, but like, literally, when she says her line about like, then I'm not doing my job right. I'm like, it's not your job unless somebody is paying you to do it, which, to be honest, it kind of feels like somebody is. Yeah. If only because, (laughs) if only because, Okay, this guy that she was kind of dating, because he's mm-hmm. never talked about her before now, yeah. which is, you know, I mean, maybe she's being retconned in, and maybe she was, like, an almost permanent girlfriend. Maybe they were living yeah. together. Who well, knows? she says later that she'd known him for six years, which if you take into account the three and a half he was gone, it was, like, three years before he left. They were dating at one point during that three-year period. Yeah. So she shows back up, though, and literally the first thing she does is kiss him. She doesn't even feel him out to be like, oh, hey, it's been three years. This is the deserted island problem, okay? Mm -hmm. And the deserted island problem is this. If your significant other got stuck on a deserted island, how long would you wait (laughs) before you moved on? And I refuse to believe that she's been hanging out for three years (laughs) I don't know if she moved on or not after he left, and she might just be single again at this point. Her conversation with Aaron makes me a little bit more compassionate towards her at the end. But yeah, at this stage of the episode, you're just like, who is this woman? And what is she doing with John? You're like, I'm like Aaron right now. As soon as it all happens, it goes down. Uh, yeah. And and the other thing I think is like, oh, you took him away to to relax and have a vacation from the aliens. And it's just like, how do you think he's, why would you think that he would not be thinking <laughs> about his friends and this whole situation that he's just got back from being away for several years? I don't know. It's just like the forced vacation thing is a little bit like your expectations are way too high. Yeah. I think I would have liked her more if their first interaction had been like a hug. Mm-hmm. You know, if it had been like, hey, I really missed you. We yeah. used to date. We used to be together when you left. Like, I really miss you. But clearly we're both different people because it's been three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I agree. Something like that would have been a lot more nuanced and nice to see. The next quote I want to play is the conversation that John has with Jack about sharing the information. Because as I said, that's one of the main points of tension that drives the plot of this episode. And they're... John's watching television on the couch and his dad comes and joins him. He's eating popcorn, too. I just like that detail. Holt says it's bad on the political front. Every nation is demanding equal access to the aliens and all the information we get from them. Of course they are. I'm going to give it to them. I don't see why. Why should we give them access to technology they can use against us? Because it's the right thing to do. 
Wouldn't worry about it, Dad. Subcommittee will tie it up for years and load it down with a ton of guidelines. Now you're being naive, son. The best and safest thing to do is keep it to ourselves. Space travel was your dream to unite mankind. When did that change? September the 11th. This isn't the same world you left four years ago, son. People don't dream like they used to. It's about survival now. Who's survival? Olivia's survival. And Susan and Frank and Bobby's. Imagine them blown up by a suicide bomb or coughing up blood from a poison gas attack. This country is under siege. You just don't understand the global situation. I don't understand because I've been out of town or because Daddy knows best. Oh, oh, come on. Now, that's not fair, son. If you want to argue with Holt or even the president, I can arrange that. No, I don't want to argue with anybody. No, you don't want to argue. You just want to be obstinate and insist everyone agree with you. Are you accusing me of being the only one in this family to be stubborn? No, you're the most stubborn. That I would argue with. All right, let's split the title. I am going into space tomorrow. If you'd like to come along, you're welcome. Unless you're too stubborn. So there you get to hear both sides of this argument. And I want to put this episode into also context of when it aired, because it aired in 2003, which was two years after 9-11-2001, and also the year that the U.S. got involved in the Iraq War. So I feel like there's also this meta conversation happening a little bit about what is the role of the United States? You know, do we look at every foreign thing as something to be feared and, you know, hoard our, our guns and our, our weaponry to marshal against them? And you have the John speaking this message of, hey, you know, mankind is better than this and we should share the things that we've learned and make a better you know, society about it because it's the right thing to do. So Mm -hmm. there's that tension going on. And I really, I really like that because I feel like that John has come home and his dad has changed. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. Because there's always been this tension and you hear that fight at the end where they're like arguing about who's stubborn. But (laughs) I think his expectations of who his father is are challenged by the new attitudes that his dad has because of 9-11. Um, you hear it in a later conversation where John quotes his dad as being like, nothing is impossible and we can have a better world kind of mentality and wondering if his dad still believes that. And Jack is like, I don't know what I believe. So I think John is also confronting how the world has changed and how his father has changed. And that's really difficult, too. Yeah. And in that second conversation, I think there's a really key line that I think reflects John's feeling in this conversation, which is where John says to him, you know, you said that nothing is impossible. And, you know, we could essentially like you can survive anything. And John says to his father, that that idea kept me alive. Mm hmm. And so I think that that's what John is really facing here is he's facing this reality that he He's been talking to his father for three years. He's been relying on this idea that I'll get home to Earth and it will all be okay. Mm -hmm. And clearly he doesn't really, he doesn't, you know, believe that in the like, in the, you know, front cordal or in the (laughs) frontal, you know, in the sense, in like his, the front part of his brain. But clearly his like id, it's still like really holding on to this idea of like, I just have to get home. You know, I'm going to get home and I'm going to pull the covers up over my head and I will be okay. 
Yeah, but it, it's hope, and it kind of goes back to the discussions that he had with Aaron and Dargo in Look at the Princess. Like, hope mm-hmm. is all I have, I think he says at one point to Dargo, and I hope that I'll get to go home and see his father and his sisters again, and here he is realizing that actuality, and then, of course, reality is different from his expectation of it, but that hope was part of what kept him going. Yeah, and so I want to address the nine eleven thing because... I think that we kind of, you know, at the, at this point, we're pretty far out from 9-11 and we've kind of lost perspective, but it really did change so much of American culture and a lot of global culture as well. Um, mm-hmm. it, it changed a lot of global culture and I'm not, I don't really want to get into like the geopolitics of like what America did post 9-11, but I do want to say that culturally America did used to be a more open place. Like if Mm -hmm. you look at the rhetoric in politics today and then you look at the rhetoric in the 90s, it has definitely changed towards more militaristic, more, you know, United States first. And I think that a lot of that is this reflection of something really terrible happening to the United Mm -hmm. States and us as a society not really knowing how to deal with something so massive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And the, and I also want to name drop Sarah Connor Chronicles because mm-hmm. I think that this episode and then also I think the second episode of Sarah Connor Chronicles is when they talk about it. But both of those dealt with like 9-11 really explicitly versus a lot of TV shows which have just kind of resulted from that where like yeah. <laughs> a lot of our police shows are a lot more like police statey and that's because Americans are a lot more comfortable with the idea of a police state when the – when there's this kind of idea that the other option is, you know, mass terrorism. Over. Yeah, mass terrorism. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I guess my point is, uh, I don't, I don't quite know how I feel about it, but I do like that the show is actually explicitly calling out this is the reason things have changed versus yeah. just kind of being like things have changed, right? And being very pessimistic about people in general, like a human reaction was mm-hmm. uh, back in season one, which was aired pre nine eleven. And 1999, you know, mm-hmm. where John is just like, humans are going to dissect Rigel. <laughs> <laughs> and you have them here, you know, Rigel is there, he's not dissected, and they're being treated like VIPs. I mean, yes, they're monitored and everything, but but they are being treated like VIPs. And while we're talking about them, can we have a little meanwhile moment, what the aliens yes. are doing? Because this is hilarious. It's one of my favorite little bits. So Chiana is like, loving earth fashion and uh, Norianti and uh, Rigel are loving earth food and Dargo is basically monitoring all their equipment that there's being borrowed by the people the uh, scientists to check out <laughs> and then you have Sokozu pissed off about everything so I'm gonna play a, a conversation at the at their house biologic examination I said no and I don't care how many of the others have consented go stick your probes in one of them. I'm not interested. You never know. You might like it. No, I will not have an X-ray. I don't care how much it advances mankind's inner biological knowledge. Leave! Eat something. You'll feel better. I do not want to eat. I want to go back to Moya. Good. Here. Here, give this to Pilot. Hark! The Heward Engle Singer, Glory to the Nude Boat Kinga, The John Urban Mackie Millet, Go 
dancing because Rick Millard. <laughs> I just like that. <laughs> so Sakosa was on the phone. Sorry, I didn't mention that. And obviously, she is not best impressed with scientists wanting to stick probes in her. <laughs> Which is so funny because she's literally the only one that didn't see the fake Earth. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, at least she's smart enough to know. Don't let <laughs> you know strange scientists poke around in you. Yeah, yeah. And Chiana is wrapping a present for Pilot, and then I just love Norianti singing there at the end. It just makes me laugh. So. <laughs> it is. It's one of the few moments of real levity in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, though, Chiana isn't the only one that's been buying presents. Aaron mm-hmm. bought like you know, crates and crates and crates of <laughs> presents for John. Yeah, at the end of the episode. And there's, you just see, like, she's got, like, five security people and Shiana helping her. And when, when Dargo makes a comment, Shiana, like, bumps him and is, like, intentionally, and is like, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's like, you're going to give these to John. And, and Dargo's kind of like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> That's going to make it better. And Shiana's like, well, some men can forgive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so there's lots of little byplay there and i think we'll get to see a little bit more of, of some of this later on so john takes his dad up to space with bobby i mentioned that already and while he's there he has a little chat with dargo and we find out that that homework that caroline was chiding him for doing was actually calculating when the wormhole is going to reopen it's gonna not be stable for at least another 70 yarn so they have to at least wait like what that's three days four no that's more than Mm -hmm. that's like a week they have to wait at least another week before they have the first opportunity to leave again um earth and we find out that even though john has been saying hey we need to share all this information with all these people on earth and having this fight about it with his dad and saying things like you don't see the bigger picture the bigger picture that john sees is greza and scarens on the other of the wormhole chomping Mm -hmm. at the bit to get any leverage over john that they can and so he's like, this will distract them. It'll give them, we can give them something so they don't take it. So we can control what they have and they can't mm-hmm. understand it anyway. And then while they're figuring out what to do about it all, take years, mm-hmm. we're just gonna, you know, hop on our ship and leave kind of <laughs> in a week. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so even John doesn't think his whole optimistic, you know, share everything with the world is actually going to happen even though he wants it to, I think, on some level, because he, yeah. he's arguing for it. But even I think he's still realistic enough to know that the pol- the politics of this situation are that it's he's going to use it as a distraction for them instead. Yeah. Well, I think that that's also come as a result of his experiences on Earth. Mm-hmm. Because if he came down and the UN was suddenly all-powerful and, like, nations were getting along and holding hands, I think that would be a different situation. Yeah. But additionally, I think this is the Independence Day problem, where Earth is facing an enemy that they cannot face alone, you know, mm-hmm. and they don't know how to deal with it, one. And two, they're obviously not even able to get along with each other. So to be honest, Scarens, Peacekeepers, Navari, <laughs> I mean, at this point, even if the Charids showed up, you right. know, Earth wouldn't be able to defend itself. Yeah, yeah, and and I and he even says, I think, to Jack at one point, you know, you're not seeing the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is that that fear, and he wants he sees his presence on Earth as a risk to Earth, and not the aliens as a risk to Earth, because mm-hmm. it's not the aliens that are with him 
or the earth being a risk to them in that they're going to dissect them because clearly they haven't so far, but that mm -hmm. Graza is going to come. And we get a few glimpses of Graza throughout this episode because she has a mind thing, connection mm -hmm. stone that can have her communicate with her screeth, which is on Moya and on this little trip to Moya that they make with his dad and his cousin. Then the screeth gets on the, the shuttle and goes back or the pod and goes back down with him. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So this is the Graza part of the episode that really <laughs> baffled me. I don't know. Graza's <laughs> always, you know, I don't like her. <laughs> she sticks this thing on, on Bracca and she says, I don't have to, he's like, what is this? And she's like, you're not going to remember anyway, so I'm not going to explain. And basically does the, the, the walkie talkie thing with him. So she sticks this thing on, the screeth can mentally telepathically communicate with the little stone and then speak through Bracken's voice. So she gets an update on what's going on and it's like, oh, I think I can capture John and then follow him down to the planet. And the point here, though, that I want to make is that afterwards, Bracken doesn't remember. And the way that Graza decides to cover it is like, we just had recreational sex and it was great and you blacked out. <laughs> I mean, I'm paraphrasing and I'm just like... What is even the point of that? You could just tell him he's had a fainting spell and go to medical to get checked out and he'll be fine. And then, you know, the doctors will scratch their head but not care because they're peacekeepers so they won't ask questions. I mean, just like, why? Because it's Graza. And because apparently season four thinks that, like, casual rape is funny. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Graza. Anyway. So, meanwhile, on this trip up to Moya, this is when Erin really reaches her breaking point because she is looking at her prowler and she kind of mentions to Jargo, hey, thanks for not letting them break it. And he's like, yeah, sure. And then he leaves and then John is there and she kind of says, do you want me to stay on Moya? And he's like, you do whatever you want. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she's worried about fitting in, but really she's worried about fitting in with John's family and Caroline and feeling like she's the outside person of this little mm -hmm. family unit that, that because she's not in a relationship with John, you know, that's, it's all tense. It's like, oh, it's so tense. Anyway, it is. It's all. like real tense. So when they decide to go back to earth, Aaron offers to take, well, John kind of offers Aaron to take Jack in her prowler. <laughs> well, she <laughs> offers. Yeah, she offers. And then John, John just supports it. Yeah, he calls her the best pilot he's ever seen. So I know. Aww. There's that. <laughs> and so she takes him to Saturn and Jack is, you know, amazed because this is the furthest any human has been from Earth except for John, obviously. Mm -hmm. And he kind of is the one that brings it up that, you know, he notices there's kind of something going on and she kind of has to be like, well, there was, but now there isn't. Yeah. And, and she also, there's also this bit of like, of like, you know, does that bother you? Because I'm not human. And then Jack asks, do you want to be human? And I think the implication is then, then you would be able to be with John because you're human. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but and it's just, I don't know. It just reminded me very much of Data and Star Trek of, of Jack's generation of like, he always mm -hmm. tries to be human and seven of nine and Voyager ascribing to be better, a better human. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of felt like that little, that little moment. And John says, I don't think of you as an alien. And I don't know. I thought I was, this made me wonder, like, good for Jack. I'm glad he sees Arian as not an alien foreign mm -hmm. creature. But at the same time, does he see like Dargo and Chiana as aliens just because they look different? Is it only because Aaron doesn't look different? Is she passing? We never get an answer to that question, but I, I had that thought in my head. Yeah, I'll be honest. It did make me a tiny bit uncomfortable to like 
the kind of implication that like, oh, well, you look human enough that I would be okay having you in wedding photos versus if, right. you know, versus if John was in a relationship with, uh, I don't Chiana. know. He, the thing is, is like, yeah, I guess Chiana would be the best example because even Sokozu looks relatively human. Her skin I mean, tone is more yeah, human. Her skin tone is more human. So like, let's say he's in a relationship with Chiana or for that matter, Dargo. Like, yeah. Let's say he brings Dargo home. You know, and Dargo is the female of his species. And he could be the male of his species. There's a broship going on there that you could probably read as pre slash. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) So would that Jack have a problem with? I don't know. It's kind of the, yeah. We never get a chance to ask that question. Yeah, because the episode isn't super interested in it. It's just kind of like this passing, like, oh, well, you pass as human. That's okay. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that that was her issue. I don't think her issue is that she wants to be human. Mm-hmm. I don't think that she sees if she was human, she would fit in with his family better. I think her issue is that she just wants to get back to where they were, which was yeah. already in a relationship. I, I don't know. It's yeah. kind of an awkward conversation. Right. But that that turn of phrase aside, because that's, you know, that's one that you can interpret a whole bunch of different ways. And we're going into it a little bit. But you know, he is kind to her about it. He says, mm-hmm. like, you know, I think, you know, John, he just got home. She, he doesn't make her say that they're no longer in a relationship. He just says, well, now things are different because you're here. And that's a situation that you guys have to deal with and just give John time. With the implication being that John will eventually sort things out with her and figure things out. And there is hope that there is something at the end of this, of the end of this situation, at this yeah. episode, something. Yeah. And that gets back to like this idea that I think is underlying this episode, which is that even though Jack and John are coming at this from two different angles of John being like, Earth needs to create a united front because they're going to be facing massive enemies. And this is the only way they're going to survive. And Jack kind of being like, Earth is very a darker place now. And John being like, I'm a darker person now. And Jack kind of still wanting to see his, you know, <laughs> stubborn, young, yeah. you know, astronaut, astronaut son. son, you know, yeah. in the heart of this episode is the message that they both still know each other. Mm-hmm. That despite all of these massive changes to who they are, the kernel of who they are is still known to each other. Yeah. Which brings us to the last Jack and John quote I want to play. And we're going to skip a few plot points, but we'll come back to them because I just want to close out this this line now that we're on it. They're at a the celebration party, VIP visitor party, and conversation that John and Jack have had before this has been, you know, what do you believe about the world? There's a bigger picture. So here's that last conversation. Not This isn't a conversation. This is just at the party where Jack makes a speech. I will inform the president. Now, I am getting major flack from the Hill about John's global initiatives. He's got to bend a little. I don't think he will. Make him. It's your job. The Joint Chiefs are up in arms. They want to classify the alien technology as a a national security risk and impound it. John won't permit that. He'll take these ships out of here first. Look, I know you share my concerns about John's plans. All I'm asking for is a little compromise. Is that unreasonable? Ryden, this isn't a very fun party. It's not supposed to be a party. It's a photo op for VIPs. Smile. Well, can't we find a real party somewhere? Could I have everybody's attention? Oh, here comes the My Fellow Americans. 
I once told my son that he'd, he'd get the chance to become his own kind of hero. Well, he got it. And he made the most of it. I also taught him to stick to his guns when he thought he was right. So I can't fault him when he does. I've heard it said that he should accept our judgment over his because he owes us. I've even said it myself. We're wrong. Look at the friends he discovered, the miracles he brought. And then ask yourself, what he owes us as compared to what we owe him. Now, John insists that we share these wonders with the rest of the world. But some people are afraid of what'll happen if we do. John's afraid of what'll happen if we don't. And I'll go with that. So, as IASA's project director for extraterrestrial studies, I hereby invite all nations to participate in the ongoing Farscape mission. I think that quote really gets at the the change that's happened within this episode, which is that John came home and he changed his father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you, you see that it's really nice to see that Jack ultimately has faith in John and his judgment. Mm-hmm. And they've had this series of conversations and he's gotten to know Aaron and Dargo a little bit. And I don't know if he's gotten to know Dargo, but he's gotten to know them a little bit. And, you know, he's thought about it. And I, that's the other thing I really like about it is Jack changing his mind and, mm-hmm. you know, still being willing to listen because that's such a hard thing to do for, for people sometimes is being willing to listen and to evaluate new information as it comes in. And, mm-hmm. And I, I just, I love him supporting John at the end. It's just, uh, it makes me really happy for them. <laughs> yeah. Well, because this is kind of the Jack that John has wanted for three and a half years. Yeah. Like John has been really relying on this image of his father as like, you know, the one small step kind of father, you know, the mm-hmm. father that sees like a bigger picture, the father that sees the wonder. I mean, I think that's one of yeah. the first things he mentions very early on in season one when he's still doing the the tape recordings to his father, where essentially he says something along the lines of like, you know, dad, you would be amazed, you know, dad, mm-hmm. you would be you wouldn't be able to believe what you're seeing. Yeah. And I think that to come home to a father that's afraid has really thrown John. And so to have his father kind of be able to step back and be like, if my son says we need to be united about this, then I think we need to be united about this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that hits what you just said. It hits really on what I really like about it. Because John's relationship with his father, he mentions when I told my son he could be his own kind of hero, he's quoting what he said in the premiere episode when they're walking down the gangplank at the very opening and then as you said the the tape recorder conversations that have basically been his connection to this idea of his father going forward that that have kept him going mm-hmm. i also like chiana's little bit of let's go find a real party <laughs> <laughs> oh chiana she's been never really changed <laughs> and then she tries to seduce an old white guy which is kind of hilarious yeah right chiana love you so right before this party 
Well, that's the other thing about the time in this episode is because the scene, I guess, is supposed to happen right before the party. But to be honest, then a whole bunch of stuff happens after that scene that, like, makes the timeline a little confusing. Yeah, I I think of it as the day before, the day of, maybe. It's kind of, it's, the timeline's kind of fuzzy on this. The timeline is, like, <laughs> fuzzy enough. And I'm going to get into why it kind of bugs me how fuzzy the <laughs> timeline is. Because if it's, like, an hour before, then I'm like, okay, maybe. But if it's, like, a day before, I'm like, it doesn't make any sense, which is this. DK and his fiance Laura. Ma- who- no, wife. They got married. Oh, that's right. Sorry. They were married on a boat in Naples. Aww. <laughs> So DK and his wife, Laura, are kind of in charge of the sciencey thing and they're analyzing and DK and they're both kind of like, what did you do to your module? Why is all this <laughs> junk attached? And John's like, I don't know. I don't understand it. I just put it on, which I'm like, John, ah, no. <laughs> John, I think, is dissembling a little bit. But at the same time, it's true. He might not fully understand the physics behind why the Hetch Drive works, which is the FTL travel that's used in the Uncharted Territories. Mm. And they're mad at him because they think that he's deliberately not telling him, which I don't know. I thought that was kind of weird because they're all complaining and grumpy instead of excited. I feel like scientists would have been more excited about the stuff. But maybe that's because they've been there a month. Yeah, I think it's I think (laughs) I think we're allowed to kind of hand wave that with the timey with the time. You know, the fact that, again, this episode happens over like a month or or two months, something like that. Yeah, or possibly a week. I mean, it's, who knows? Yeah, it happens over, that's the thing, <laughs> is I'm like, if they told us it was a week, I don't, anyway, I'm not going to get into it. So <laughs> they're kind of like, why won't you tell us? And they're like, you know, really mad. And they have a security detail that's like walking with them to the parking garage. And then they get attacked by the screef and... Um, I want to jump back for a tiny second because I forgot to mention a small plot point in that conversation, which is that mm. Laura mentions like, well, clearly you must understand something because you want a metal or you, mm. she, he wants a metal analysis of his module and Dargo's ship, which implies a couple things to me that I am not sure the writers fully thought through. I thought that John knew that Dargo's ship would survive because it now had a direction, but mm. apparently he just sent Dargo's ship through <laughs> Not 100% that the entire crew wouldn't turn to goo, which I'm like, what the F, John? <laughs> because what's the, from, se- was it season three? I can't remember the episode title, but the one mm. with Linfer. Yeah. Um, when Scorpius on his command carrier with the wormhole technology is sending pilots through wormholes and prowlers, the pilots are coming back is goo. And Linfer manages to stabilize for a short member amount of time, but not long enough to live. Like she slowly deteriorates because there's like phasing technology. I don't remember. Hand wave, hand wave, hand wave. But the point being, John's module is why it can survive. And now why can Dargo's ship survive when a prowlers can't go through wormholes outside of the hull of a Leviathan? And Leviathans can survive. So what is it about the metal or whatever and that's what the mystery he's trying to have and he kind of just like says says that and just leaves and walks away to get coffee it's just like trying to figure out why prowler pilots turn to goo so which again i'm like (laughs) not a hundred percent that dargo wasn't gonna turn to glue like i don't understand the i don't understand the writers just kind of doing that like random like we're gonna drop this here yeah, well, I mean, I guess Dargo's ship is shown to be very powerful, so maybe he was banking on its shields or something. I don't I, know. I'm not- I agree. It's a little touchy, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so either way, they go down to the parking garage. They're complaining. Their security guy gets killed by the Screef. They get interrogated by the Screef, who then tells Greza that 
they don't know anything and that the rest of John's species isn't as immune to interrogation as he is. And then they get killed, which I'm like, right. whoa. <laughs> I know. We got like two minutes worth of DK, who is John's best friend. And this is what his fate is to die at the hands of a scree. No, I'm not going to harp on this much more, but I'm like, if this had been at the end of a three episode arc where we'd gotten to see like an episode of DK and John bonding again, I would feel less kind of like, what the F, Farscape? Why bring him back at all if you're going to kill him two minutes later? Yeah. And I feel like the other thing, this is this is the part that really, when I first watched the episode way back when it first aired... You know, that this was one of those points where I really didn't like it. Because I was just like, why is there a screeth on Earth? Why did they have to have a, an alien monster plot point? Why couldn't they just have had, like, an actual plot that turned on decisions that they make instead of an mm-hmm. external force? So, anyway. Yeah. Um, but then here's my other thing, is that they have a security detail, right? Theoretically, at some point, that security detail would either need to be replaced because I imagine their house is being guarded as well, Mm -hmm. or the security detail would need to check in Mm -hmm. and be like, they've safely arrived at their house. Right. And yet at no point is anybody like, where is DK? Until like a day or two later after this party. Although, I mean, I'll give it to you. This is why I kind of think that it might be the same day. Okay, but they don't make it super clear because it's like no, they nighttime don't. when they're leaving and it's like, they don't make it very clear. You can't tell what time of day they're leaving though because they're in the parking garage. It looks like it's night because it's gloomy inside, but it could be daylight outside. They could be underground. <laughs> I'm just going to, yeah, Either I don't know. way. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Either way, nobody has noticed that the two key scientists on this project have been murdered until Dargo <laughs> takes Chiana down without security detail. Dargo takes Chiana down to the garage to sober her up. And then he smells the murdered bodies. <laughs> this is this is a true, true plot hole. And I agree. Because the other thing is like, why isn't there security with them? But anyway, there's a screen. Yeah. And so also this day or within the day period of this happening, um, there's a meanwhile that's important, and that's Erin. Um, so mm-hmm. she's had this conversation with Jack and the Prowler, and she's goes back to the 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 house where they're all staying. I, is that where they're all staying? Yeah, it goes back to Jack's house, staying. or goes back to Jack's house. One of those two, where where Caroline is being interviewed by cousin Bobby, the kid who's probably what thirteen with mm-hmm. the video camera, and he's been camcordering ever all the aliens and documenting it everything because he has access since he's family and stuff. And so I want to play that this conversation because it's a good one. So how long have you known John Crichton? I met him six years ago. And how long have you been his girlfriend? Bobby Cut. Take five. Don't stop. I'm interested in the answer. Want to tell me why you want to know? That's fair. John and I were in a relationship. What kind of relationship? It was complicated. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Actually, no, I can't imagine. John and I had a much simpler one. No strings, no grand plans. Just good casual times. At least that's how it was before. And now? Uh, he doesn't even want that much. But he's been spending time with you. I think he's been testing himself. Working out what he really wants. It's not me. I'm sorry. No, you're not. You still want him, don't you? 
Yes, but it doesn't matter. He doesn't want me either. I think he does. When I asked him about you, he said there was nothing going on. He said that several times. That's bad. We have a lot to understand about humans. Sometimes when we repeat a lie, it means that we're trying to convince ourselves of the truth. And that is that he still loves you very much. So there's there's a couple things that I really like about this conversation. And one is that Caroline is just willing to talk to Aaron about this stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, give her hope again that there could be something between her and John. And she's not, I don't know, jealous about it or anything like that. She's very matter of fact about it and just being like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know we've been hanging out. And the implication I got also is that they haven't slept together. They've just potentially been making out mm-hmm. um, her, Caroline and John. And like John is doing this stuff, but I think it's because he's testing himself and he really still wants to get back together with you. So there's the hope is still alive for Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think this is the second external person, like other than herself that has looked at John and been like, nah, he's still really into you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important too. And I think I was thinking about what you said about, Hey, we never get to see Caroline and John having those interactions and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think you have to remember this is told, this plot line is told from Aaron's point of view. And it's very much about Aaron's journey of mm-hmm. figuring out, does she still want to pursue John? Is she ready to give up on him? No, she's not ready to give up on him. She wants this to happen and she wants it to continue her mm-hmm. relationship or pick back up. Mm hmm. But, like, I, I I think I'm not going to nitpick on the fact that the writers chose to be like, it was a casual relationship that they had. <laughs> because then I'm like, if it was, I don't think she would have gotten past security, number one. And mm-hmm. number two, like, I feel like then they should have had another, if it really was just, like, friends with benefits, which is, I think, what we would have called it nowadays. Yeah. You know, what, like, you know, 18 years later, we would have been like, oh, it was a friends with benefits situation, you know. That or mm-hmm. sorry, not eighteen years later, fifteen years later. You know, we should have at least heard a conversation that was like, "Oh yeah, well, I called him and saw if he wanted to hang out, and he <laughs> said yes." So yeah, but I think that's part of the tension of the episode that it's trying to build is like you don't know what John's relationship with Caroline is, and you're in the as in the dark as Aaron is. Mm-hmm. And from a storytelling point of view, that's where the conflict and the the tension is coming from is like, is John serious about this old girlfriend of his or not? And how is that affecting his relationship with Aaron? Mm, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Okay, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it that. Yeah. And so they don't want to give their hand away until this last conversation with Aaron that, hey, Aaron, no, you really don't have anything to worry about with this after all. And you should go for it. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I I also like there that Aaron is being upfront about her emotions because she hasn't quibbled at all about the fact that she really wants John back and -hmm. not just as like the father of her child, but also as the partner that she misses. Yeah. And I think that this is a good conversation because this and then the one up on the ship where she's like, you know, uh, or and we kind of didn't mention how the one up on the ship ended. But it ends with John being like, you do whatever you want. Stay up here if you want. Like kind of like an I don't care thing. She's like, fine, I'll go back down to earth then. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of being like, I am giving you this message. <laughs> yeah. I want us to be together. And John keeps like not. 
Yeah, but not only that, but like your scientists can look at my prowler and I'll field strip a cannon and I will like keep doing the cooperation and make things mm-hmm. as easy as possible for you kind of deal. But yeah, John is John doesn't want to dictate what she does, doesn't want isn't, you know, he's not wanting to commit to one way or the other how he feels about it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. But then there's another weird time jump because Jack and John were at the party where Dargo and Chiana found the dead bodies, but then apparently they went home before Dargo and Chiana found the dead bodies because then Dargo and Chiana, like, don't go. I don't know. It's very confusing because then Jack and John are at home and Aaron shows up with gifts Mm -hmm. and... Aaron really just wants to talk to John because after this conversation with Carolyn, she's kind of like, okay, so if he loves me, he's just jerking me around, which Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good to her. And she just wants an answer. Yeah. So let's play that conversation. I'm sorry. I just had to drop some things off to Olivia. Ah, sorry. Oh, their flight's been delayed. Do you want me to go back to Moya? We've already talked about this. It's entirely up to you. Fine, I'll go with what you prefer. Look, I'm not trying to pressure you, John. I'm actually trying to take the pressure off. Would you be happier if I wasn't here on Earth? You don't have to justify it or explain it. Just give me an honest yes or no. Aaron, would you join us for dinner? Oh, no, I I couldn't impose. There's always room for one more. It's a traditional family thing. We'll start a new tradition. It's up to you, but we'd love to have you. Could I get some eggnog, please? Mm -hmm. And then Erin turns back, and she's got this one tear down her face, and she just looks, she's holding it together, but she's kind of falling apart a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then the screeth attacks, and then they go, you know, be bad guys. Yeah. (laughs) We're good guys in this case. They're protecting good guys his in this family. Case. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so they, you know, firefight and then they fight the Screeth and Dargo comes saves them with his ship. So yeah. that's kind of the resolution of that quickly. But yeah, this conversation between the two of them and it's, uh, Claudia Black here just nails it. She's just so, so good and just wanting an answer. And so Aaron is now at the point, no, you have to give me an answer about whether you want me here or not, which is kind of proxy for mm-hmm. whether you want me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's been trying. She's been trying her best. She's been pushing outside of what she is comfortable doing, which is Aaron mm-hmm. is not comfortable having emotional <laughs> conversations. And she is having a lot of emotional conversations with John. And it's kind of at the point where she's like, okay, you need to tell me. I have have shown you that I have changed. I have shown you what I want. Now it's your turn. And I love Mm -hmm. how she frames it as like, I'm trying to take the pressure off. Like she wants an answer, but at the same time she realizes when John is just home at Earth is not the time for them to resolve their relationship issues. It's just that she needs to know... In this moment, yeah. what he wants, and then they'll yeah. deal with everything else later, right? And not just that, but it's like you know, she does never, she hasn't felt like she's been fitting in, and you kind of hear that a little bit with when Jack asks her if she wants to stay to dinner, and she says, "No, it's a family thing. I'm not part of the family, essentially." Mm-hmm. And um, 
And, you know, part of taking the pressure off is like she frames it as I want you to be happy. She wants mm-hmm. John to be happy and she's willing to put his happiness above whatever she wants and she will abide by it at that point, you know? So if he says no, she's going to leave because it'll make him happy to do that. Yeah. And that he then he doesn't have to justify it. It could be for whatever reason, but she has something to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And so, she never gets an answer, by the yeah, way. Yeah, she never gets an answer. And then she finds out about John's drugs because he uses his drugs to throw the screeth off. And then when they get back up, when everybody gets back up to the ship, because now they're like, okay, we accidentally brought aliens to Earth. <laughs> that was bad. She yeah. confronts Naranti and she's like, what is this? And Naranti's like, it's to help him forget. And Naranti doesn't want to answer. You know, Naranti no, she really doesn't. feels... I think Shneranti feels a little guilty about this because, you know, she doesn't yeah. want to tell Aaron that he's using it to forget her. So she's just kind of like, he's using it to forget. And Aaron's like, forget who? And Naranti <laughs> like walks away. Right. And then um, at the very end, John has a really emotional goodbye with his sister, who we haven't talked about a lot, but his Olivia, she's kind of great. She has a good conversation with John and lends Aaron clothes and stuff like that where Olivia, uh, everyone's crying, by the way, they're all really yeah. torn up that John has to leave again. And uh, Olivia gives him their mom's wedding ring. So that's really significant because it was left to her when their mom died. And as we know, John has a really, a lot of trouble with his memories of his, not trouble, but you know, conflicted, torn up feeling, I guess not conflicted, torn up feelings, but, uh, like he wasn't there for his mom at the end when she died and stuff like that. And so it's, you know, very significant that Olivia's like, hey, clearly mm-hmm. you and Aaron are going to get married. Here's a ring. <laughs> Put it on her finger. <laughs> I mean, with a lot more angst and crying and and not talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jack and John have a really emotional goodbye where jack is kind of like i feel like you're never gonna come back and john is like of course i'm gonna come back you need to take care of my home for me and Mm -hmm. john and jack really promises to do so he promises to kind of move forward with the inter international ideas that john had yeah and it's a really good place where you know they were in conflict for a lot of this episode and here you know they're back on the same side and back as father and son and they have a new understanding of each other and they're in a good place when they part ways. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to mention that after doing his after doing his speech, that's when John decides to open up to Jack. Because he's kind of like, mm. hey, I've got some stuff to tell you. Because up until this point in the episode, he's been really afraid that anything he says to Jack is going to immediately go into the United States industrial complex, you know, military yeah. industrial complex. Right. And... So when his dad kind of stood up to the politicians, that's when John realized he had his father there. He had his father back. His father had, you know, was going to protect him. And he could talk to him about about what happened to him. Mm -hmm. We skipped over Sokozu's minor plot point. So after she's pissed off at the phone and right before the party, and I think at that point must be 70 irons have passed and and the wormhole is stabilized, she takes the transport pod and goes back to the other transport pod on the other side of the wormhole where Scorpius is waiting, sending a broadcast signal basically as a a lighthouse beacon of like, Mm -hmm. hey, so when you go through the wormhole, this is where you need to come out. And then she and Scorpius are chatting on the pod and Scorpius is like, yeah, when Greza comes, I'm going to blow up the pod on the wormhole and protect John from, from Greza. So basically Scorpius is prepared to commit suicide, uh, for the greater life and health of John Crichton 
in the preservation mm-hmm. of wormhole knowledge and keep it away from Greza and the peacekeeper or the Scarens. And Sokoza joins them in and is like, can you show me how to do it? Two pods and make a bigger explosion. Mm-hmm. And they still have creepy flirting going on. Yeah. And by creepy, I mean everything with Scorpius is a little creepy. So uh, it's more, I just describe everything related to him as creepy. Well, but- <laughs> okay. Deciding to commit mutual suicide together. That's kind of <laughs> creepy. Yeah. And meanwhile, poor Braca has had fake pretend sex with Greza like three times now and is completely confused. And I really feel for the poor guy. Yeah, Especially right? since his boyfriend is now making out with Sokozu. I hope they're okay with trios. Uh, I totally think they are. Are you kidding? Because <laughs> Braca was around when Scorpius was with Natira. Yeah. Was that her name? Nadira? Natira. Yeah. At yeah. the Shadow Depository. Yeah. All right. Oh, I mean, that goodness. kind of wraps up the episode, right? Unless we- Yeah. There was a minor correction that I wanted to make to Kansas. Jenna on Twitter actually told us the two episodes that we ended that we could not remember, which was that (laughs) the two episodes where Karen Shaw was mentioned were that old black magic and losing time. Oh, losing time. That's right. With the writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so thank you, Jenna. Thank you for that. Help our poor old memories here. Wardrobe watch. We have lots of wardrobe changes. Uh, John is wearing his season two duster coat at the beginning when he's in his peacekeeper wear and at the end when he does his power walk off the pier or not the pier, but down down the way. Everyone's wearing lots of sunglasses. Chiana is all in on earth clothing and so is Aaron, who Chiana dresses like, you know, a 13 year old experimenting with fashion, which Mm -hmm. is a great thing to do when you're 13. Erin is dressed more basically like Olivia would dress John's sister because she borrowed her clothes. So she's mm-hmm. just like normal American woman and not in a dress this time. Like she wasn't a human reaction. And then mm-hmm. everyone else is mainly in their regular clothing. They don't change. John changes into into human clothes again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's most of the wardrobe stuff. Yeah. What would you give this episode? I really like this episode, but... Uh, as we discussed, there's lots of flaws. I think I would give it in the four range. I definitely, I think I like Unrealized Realities in Kansas better, but I really do like a lot of what goes on in this episode, despite some of the weaknesses that we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, like I said in the, like I said <laughs> an hour ago, um, I I would not give this episode anything less than like a three, but I think that three is actually my limit. <laughs> for yeah, this episode. That's I think that for that's me fair. this is like a middling episode that hits a lot of emotional stuff but doesn't do it as well as other episodes have done. Yeah. Uh next week we have Twice Shy. So join us for that. We are Farscape Friday podcast on Dreamwith and Tumblr and gmail.com. So if you want to talk to us there and we are also at Farscape Friday on Twitter. See you next week. Bye.